The 18th edition of the Flushing's Finest podcast starts right now. Little roller up along first, behind the back, it gets through Buckner, here comes Knight and the Mets win it! Lopez wants it away. And it's hit deep to left center, Andrew Jones on the run, this one has a chance, home run! Piazza and the next lead, three to two. He's yeah. out. It has happened. In their 51st season, Johan Santana has thrown the first no-hitter in New York Mets history. Please struck him out. Tears of joy for the 2015 New York Mets National League Eastern Division champions. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Flushing's Finest Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. We're going to the bullpen once again today. Some call him, this is not what I call him, but some call him the the Dominic Leone of podcast relief host. Anthony Pagnata is joining us today to talk about... Well, a pretty maddening, pretty average, pretty underwhelming baseball team. That is the New York Mets, who uh, through 60 games are an even 30 and 30 on the year. And they are one of the biggest disappointments in all of Major League Baseball. So, buddy, we uh, we have a lot to talk about. I know we're both fired up, both upset coming off the uh, the home getting swept at home over the weekend by Toronto. But I am looking forward to hearing some of your thoughts as you make your first appearance on the pod in quite a while. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm more the Tommy Hunter of the podcast at this point. But uh, Leon, no, it makes sense because you keep going back to me even though I don't want you to at this point. Um, (laughs) I just, yeah, this this is, this homestand pretty much – a pretty much summarizes this season for the New York Mets. You sweep the Phillies. Everybody's starting to think, okay, team's looking pretty good. Maybe this is finally where they turn the corner. This is about the time where you start to see teams that are having struggles early in the season start to sort of get it together. We've seen it the last three years in the NL East, and we're hoping that that's what the Mets can do. Now, look, the Mets are not nearly in the hole that, you know, Washington was back when they, you know, eventually made their run and won the World Series. But still, th- this is a team that at this point, you got to start seeing some things click. And we thought, okay, you sweep the Phillies. Granted, the Phillies, not that great right now. Um, but you thought, okay, that's that's pretty big for the Mets to, to get that against a divisional opponent, to look as dominant as they did. Uh, and then they turn around against the Toronto Blue Jays. And look, the Toronto Blue Jays are a really solid team. They play in, in one of the toughest divisions probably in the history of the sport in the AL East, the way it's going right now. Uh, but you had opportunities. You let them slip away. And you get swept at home, which is now the third time that you've been swept so far this season. Last year, you got swept twice the entire season. And for this one, this this comes at home. 
That's the concerning part because the first two that you were swept earlier in the year were on the road at least. This one comes at home and to a Toronto Blue Jays team that you entered with the same record coming into the series uh, with. So I, I, I just – I mean, it, it's it's tough to really gain a gain gain any sort of grip on where exactly this team is, and that's I think the the frustrating part because we thought this year would be similar to this to, to last year in that there wouldn't really be that many question marks as to what exactly the Mets were going to be. Yeah, no, and you know through through sixty games. I mean, outside of what I said in the open where they're just an underwhelming, disappointing team right now, there's not there's not many answers and the questions they only continue to mount. Um and, and you know, look, the sweep over Philadelphia was good. It was needed. Um Philly's really struggling right now. The Mets have con- they've owned them the last two years or so, dating back to uh, all the success they had against them. Um, a year ago, and look, as deflating as getting swept by Toronto was and is, you know, I also looked at it kind of with the, you know, through realistic lenses, which is that you mentioned the Blue Jays playing in a tough AL East. They've got one of the best records in baseball outside of their division. Um, And we saw that on the forefront over the weekend in City Field, but over the week, which saw the Mets go go three and three, there were some, I guess, highlights, if you will, from the homestand. And we'll we'll start with the polar bear with Pete Alonso setting the record for most home runs by a Met at City Field um, as he surpassed Lucas Duda on the all-time list with a solo shot in yesterday's defeat. And, you know, like 72, because of how young City Field is, you know, isn't isn't a high number. But when you think back to when Pete Alonso came up in 2019, where he won Rookie of the Year when he fit, he hit 53 home runs. You factor in a COVID year that, you know, really altered everybody's stats. I mean, he, he's really done this in a short amount of time. And, you know, he's becoming one of those guys that, of course, the, the fan base loves and has embraced him. I'm wearing one of one of the shirts I have for him right now as we sit here and record. And this is a guy that, you know, who's, who's waiting to get his first really big payday. And despite all the struggles for him as of late, he was going through at one point a four for 24 slump. He still leads uh, the, the majors in home runs. He ended yesterday leading the NL in RBI. He's still been the heart and soul of this Mets lineup and has given the, and given the team – some sort of hope every time that they go on the field that if he comes up to bat in a big spot, they they know that they they can at least count on him to deliver more often than not. Yeah, I mean, look, I I don't know if anything is going to compare to that tear that he had against the Rays and then the Guardians right after that. Um, where I mean, you you talk about just storybook moments of needing a guy to step up and and hit a shot, basically. The announcers, the fans calling their shot. I mean, those were unbelievable moments. Um, but it, look, I mean, this is this is who this is who Pete is, and he's gotten to that point now where you can trust him to hit, you know, big shots when 
you need him to. I thought, you know, the one that he hit the other day against the Jays was, I, I mean, was really one that the team was was dying for at that point. And, you know, I, I think if, if things go a little bit different with how the game was managed, um, if things go a little bit different for the middle of the bullpen, which has just been complete garbage for the majority of the season, then I think, you you, you know, we're, we continue to talk about a guy that is just hitting clutch home run after clutch home run. But unfortunately, you know, that game and there's been others this year where the Mets have just not been able to pick him up. And that's the frustrating part is you've got the league leader in home runs. You got a guy who's r- right now, I mean, one of the best power hitters in the league. And you're, you're you know, consistently falling short. And look, I get it. Some years, 30 and 30 for the Mets with one of the league leaders in, you know, in home runs and RBIs, another guy who's top five in RBIs, you would say, okay, that's, you know, that's, that's not bad. But with the way that the Mets were built this season, that's not something that you should be happy about. And that's why we're, we're listing this as a disappointment, but he is the one, him, and I still think Francisco Lindor. I know right now he's struggling. I know the fans are letting him hear it. He had a really, really rough series against the Jays. But I think that Pete Alonzo is one of those bright sides that you know throughout the season when, when there are ebbs and flows from everybody else. And, I mean, he'll he'll have moments. But for the most part, he is as consistent of a player as you are going to have from your everyday players. So, I, I mean, I, it, it's amazing. I'm I'm glad that he, you know, was able to hit that home run to overtake the city field all-time record. I got to tell you, don't think that was a home run, by the way. I think that was probably a double. But because it was called a home run, they stuck with it, which makes sense. Um, but I, I, I thought he probably should have still been on 71. Um, but to me, I, it's still, it's the thing that still blows my mind is the dude that is in second place on that list. <laughs> like, and, and I, I get it. I get it. Cause it's only, it's only at city field, but I, I, I mean, David Wright couldn't, I mean, I guess cause he was injured, but Lucas Duda, like, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing to me, um, but it, you know, for for Pete, I mean, it's just it that that's the one we know. Mets fans love him, and for him to now have that achievement is just amazing. And I, I'm going to tell you that mark that he is going to set is going to be pretty lofty for the for the guys coming up after him that'll be trying to chase it down. Yeah, no, and hopefully, you know, that hopefully Pete Alonzo will be a, a Met for life. And like you said, we'll we'll put that number that maybe at a point when it's all said and done, maybe it would be unthinkable that, that any other Met could ever get, get close to that. Yeah, maybe he will finally overtake Ed Cranepool. <laughs> Ed Cranepool. Um, maybe the the biggest highlight of the weekend and really what made Kind of getting swept, just just really. I just let's just say what it is. It it sucked. Was Saturday you had four new members uh, be inducted into the Met Hall of Fame: uh, Al Leiter, um, Howard Johnson, and then you had Gary Cohen and Howie Rose 
um, guys that, um, you know, we, we both are pretty familiar with, with watching and listening to Met games on a pretty regular occurrence. And, you know, as, as someone that just got back heavy into baseball four years ago, I'm not, I, I did not grow up a lifelong Met fan. I, I've just now kind of transformed and transitioned into one. This is one of the things in Steve Cohen's brief tenure as owner that I think every time they've done this, they've got it right. Um, the, the the ceremonies have been perfect. They've been moving. And, and you, you couldn't ask for a more perfect ceremony um, as, as he's really making it a point since he became the owner to honor the legacy and the traditions of the New York Mets. And, you know, look for all the, the, the people that make fun of the Mets for being lovable losers and stuff like that. And, and how they've been, you know, snake bitten and cursed and they've had epic failures and collapses in their history. This is still a franchise that does have a lot of great history and a lot of great tradition that needs to be celebrated for guys like me that are, you know, that they didn't grow up getting, hearing stories about some of these guys or watching some of these guys plays uh, playing stuff like that. And, and, and I think, you know, that every time they've done this, they've got it right. What did you take away from Saturday's uh, Hall of Fame uh, induction ceremony? And, you know, looking forward, who could you see on on the list to be inducted maybe next year or for years after? Oh man! Well, you're you're asking you're asking the tough questions there. I'm gonna have to make sure I pull up the list to see if the guys that are already officially in, because there are definitely a lot of really great guys that are already in. I mean, look from the players' standpoint, like Al Leiter was was a tremendous player, and for him, I mean, you know, early in his career, really solid player. He's one of those guys, though, that even though he came to the Mets later in his career. He he really did sort of take off a little bit once he got there. I mean, his 1998 season uh, was incredibly dominant. I mean, uh, he, you know, 17 and six that season. Um, you know, was a, a guy that posted. I'm trying to find his ERA here as I read it uh, off of. Uh, sports reference, uh, 2, 2.47. Um, and, you know, that was clearly his best year. Um, but, I mean, still a guy that was a consistent part of the rotation for a New York Mets organization that is built on pitching. Like, if, if you're a Mets fan, you've known that, look, this is what the Mets do. They, have, they always have great pitching. There was a time, you know, in the mid-2000s where that – you know, shockingly, that was a, a time period where that wasn't really their thing until they got Johan Santana. I mean, they got Pedro Martinez at the back end of his career, but there was a time where John Mayne was their number one pitcher. Um, and now, look, as somebody that's the main guy, a Mets fan, I I personally love John Mayne, but he wasn't an all he wasn't a superstar. Oliver Oliver Perez, not a superstar. Uh, a guy like Al Leiter you know, was a consistent force in the Mets rotation for a long, long time. He was a guy that, uh, you know, was an all-star in 2000 and helped lead them to that Subway Series against 
the New York Yankees in the World Series. So, I mean, he was a he, he was a key part of of the organization uh, in a time period where you know they 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 needed some guys uh, on that pitching staff to step forward. And then Howard Johnson, you know, the guys were talking about this in the booth. Um, you know, Gary Key. Uh, well, no, excuse me. Uh, that's so so used to saying that Steve Keith and Ron were talking about it. You know, he he was one of those guys that I don't really think a lot of Mets fans realized just how good he was. And one of the things that I think a lot of people that that they they brought this up as well, and I think it's true for a lot of Mets fans, is a lot of those guys that played on the '86 team. Most people remember what they did in '86. And then after that, it, it everything kind of gets wiped away until you get into those 2000s teams. Like, most people don't talk about that. If you were on that team, they want to know, what did you do that season? And look, he was really good that season. Incredibly young, just 26 years of age. It was only his third season with the Mets after coming over from Detroit. Um, and look, I mean, 36 home runs. 99 RBIs. He finished 10th in the MVP voting. Like he had a really, really good season that year, but he was incredibly productive after that. His two all star appearances came in 89, 91. Uh, he actually uh, led the league in home runs and RBIs in 1991 with uh, 38 and 117, respectively. Uh, He finished fifth that year in the MVP voting, also finished fifth in the MVP voting back in 89. So this guy was, I mean, incredibly, incredibly productive. And he's been involved in so many other ways throughout the Mets organization since. Uh, He is really one of the most revered Mets. Like Mets fans, that's one of those guys that you absolutely love. There are so many guys that are beloved, uh, you know, for being a part of the 86 team, but very few have remained a part of the Mets organization the way that Howard Johnson has since his time as a player. So to see him go in, I think that's tremendous. And then when you talk about the two voices, I mean, these guys are synonymous with Mets baseball for us, for, for a few, I mean, Howie for a few generations now, but, for you know Gary, this is this is our guy. Like this is the guy that we've grown up with. This is a guy that hell he worked with Howie Rose for a couple of years before he eventually went into the SNY booth. This is who he learned from. So for him to be able to go in with him, I think is amazing. And you know when you look at the individual stuff, I mean Howie Rose. I mean Howie is as as, as great as it comes. I will go to battle. On just, you know, on just about every front. I mean, look, there are some amazing radio broadcasters for baseball. I mean, Vin Scully, there are so many great voices that are out there. But I would put Howie Rose right up near the top. And it's not just in baseball. Howie Rose has done a bunch of amazing things throughout his career. I mean, hell, he he was the voice of the New York Rangers when they went to the Stanley Cup and won it back in 1994. His calling Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Final is iconic. And that's one that sticks with me. But I don't know if there is a moment 
that sticks with me more. And I didn't even see this moment as a kid. Clearly, you couldn't have watched it on TV and heard the radio call unless you had it synced up. But one of my favorite videos, whenever it pops up every year, is the home run from Mike Piazza following the return to play after 9-11. That is one of the greatest calls in the history of sports. I, I, I mean, that ranks up there with the miracle on ice for just how synonymous that is with the moment, how impactful that was for not only a city, but a nation. And every time I get, I see that pop up on my timeline, I get chills and I nearly cry because that is truly one of the greatest moments in New York sports history. And when it comes to Gary Cohen, I mean, what can you say? The amount of calls that he has had over the last few years, really just the commitment that he has to this job um, that I I think we all love. You're talking about, and, and it's the same thing for Howie Rose as well. You're talking about two guys that absolutely love this team and this organization. And for Gary, it's even different because Gary grew up a Mets fan. And I I mean, that's for him to be able to call games for the team that he is rooted for, to do it at such a high level and to do it with the same guys for 17 years and to be, you know, as cohesive as they are, um, and, and now, I mean, look, there there are a lot of people around Major League Baseball that are finally starting to realize just how talented this dude is. I, I'm telling you, there's nobody right now that does a better job of broadcasting baseball night in and night out on a television than Gary Cohen. There is nobody that makes it more interesting. There is nobody that has the knowledge that he has. This is truly the greatest of this generation right now. And I am so glad that he is able to be honored. He's able to go in with his friend, Howie Rose. Um, and and it's it was truly an amazing day. And unfortunately, like the Mets normally do on these types of days, they did come up short. Yeah, no, I, I really don't know how anything else to, to, to follow that other than it's just it's just so unique and cool that that Gary and Howie sat at the same areas at Shea Stadium growing up watching those Mets teams play and didn't even know each other and then they become broadcast partners and and like you said they are they are synonymous with with Mets baseball when when you tell when you tell the story of the Mets and you think about just how you know relatively young this this Mets franchise is. You've got legendary voices that have called sign, you know significant major moments, um, you know uh, uh, across the franchise's history, and you know for both Howie Rose and Gary Cohen, um, that that rings true. And it comes to Gary, like I, I I'm not I'm not going to dispute that because, um, you know I I, I pay for the MLB package. So I watch a lot of baseball outside of the Mets. Um, and look, there there are still some great play-by-play guys on television around around the Major League Baseball. Michael K. of the Yankees, Dan Schulman of the Blue Jays, um, you know, Chip Carey with the Cardinals. Those guys are really, really good. But what makes Gary unique is his ability to blend in his love and his passion for the Mets and do so in a way that isn't 
that isn't homeristic, if that's even a word, while telling you the story of what's going on, because that's what we're supposed to do as broadcasters, is tell stories. And he tells stories of the game. He tells stories of the players. And, and I got... I got goosebumps when he was talking about uh, when he was doing his Hall of Fame speech and he was talking about how he knew at a pretty young age, he knew he wasn't good enough to play the game, but he knew that he could study the game. He could love the game and breathe life into the game. And that's what happens every time he gets behind the microphone and he says whether it it's out of here or he makes the catch or struck him out and the ball game is over every time that he does something behind the microphone he breathes game into the, or he breathes life into the game and man that's a beautiful thing to, to 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 witness 162 times a year and it's something that as a broadcaster of my own I, I I don't take for granted so um it did suck that they came up short but it is something that you know hopefully in the years to come when when they're doing these and they're putting guys in the Hall of Fame left and right they they can find ways to, to come up on the winning side more often than not uh, by the way, you. the very obvious, there's two very obvious ones that need to go into the Hall of Fame next. And that is David Wright as soon as possible. I mean, I, I, I got to be honest, I would suggest next year. I know they usually don't do it that quickly, but he deserves to be in there. And I also think Terry Collins deserves to be in there. As yes, soon as just, for Terry, that, just for that ejection speech. Yeah, well, I mean, he's the all-time leader in wins, believe it or not. He took that the, – the team in 20 – I always get it mixed up with the Rangers year that they went. 2014, right? Or were they 2015 and the Rangers were 2014? I get it mixed up. 2015. Um, 15, that's right. It was 15. The Rangers were the year before. Um, I, Like, to me, like, you got to put him in there and – I mean, look, I, I hate to be to be this guy, but you, like he's getting up there in age. Let's do this now because we don't want to have you any, trying to kill him. No, but I'm saying we know he's getting older. Like, don't drag your feet on this. Some of these other guys, I mean, it's taken like it took them until 2010 to put Davey Johnson in there, to put Dwight Gooden in there. Like, guys, we know these guys should be in there. Don't wait around. Make sure these guys get into the Hall of Fame. Give them their moment early and let them be celebrated. I, I think, to me, those are the two clear ones that have to go in next. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm not going to dispute that. Um, and, and knowing Steve Cohen, I, I, I think, I think he'll do it. You know, in a timely fashion. That way, we can all be there to celebrate. Because I mean, like, as much as I love Buck Showalter. And and Lord knows if you know if, if, even if you follow me on Twitter, and I complain about Buck, I, I love the guy to death. Terry Collins will always be my favorite manager, just because that that group he took to the World Series, that ejection speech that I referenced um, when he got it when he got ejected when Noah Syndergaard got ejected for throwing at Chase Utley when the Dodgers came back to City Field uh, in 2016. 
Um, but there was just a guy that was just a no BS type of guy, no nonsense. You were you were there to you were there to win. You were there to play your hardest and play your best. And if not, he was going to find somebody else to do it. And um, I think we need more of that in sports because I do think something we've lost across all sports has been a lack of accountability. And that's why, frankly, the sports product, you know, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, whatever, over the years has, has kind of gone downhill. But that's a different rant for a different time. But now we're about to rant because now we're about to talk about some of the issues with the team on the field. And we'll start with Kodai Senga, who started yesterday's uh, loss um, at home to Toronto. And, you know, the, the reason why we're going to talk about this and give it its own little segment is, is that it was his first start in the majors on normal rest. Uh, it was the first time he was pitching basically every fifth day. Um, and I think there's something that, you know, this wasn't really talked about with, that I can recall in spring training. It wasn't really something that was talked about early on in the year. But over, overseas, he pitched once once a week. You know, in, in the league that he pitched in in Japan, you have Mondays off, and teams over there, they utilize a six-man rotation. Where here, we, we, we utilize, you know, just a five-man rotation. And so with his first time on normal's day rest, he goes out there and just two and two-thirds of an innings, um, allowing four runs, three of them earned. And, you know, his 68 pitches in in just that short amount of time, he clearly wasn't at his best. And since this kind of has, has come to fruition and something that the, the broadcast has been kind of been hammering home, you know, it was all they talked about to start the game on Sunday and virtually the last couple starts because he's been given more time off. Did the Mets just not take this into account when, when they brought him over? Or was this something that maybe – they just didn't do enough in the spring getting his arm and his body ready for the rigorous MLB season. I, I mean, the guess is as, as good as mine, to be honest with you. I pray to God that it was not the first one. Because if that is true, then, I mean, is this, what is this, Amari Stoudemire's knee all over again? Like... How did you guys not do your background on that? How did you not know that this could be a possible issue? Um, now, in, in terms of the spring training, I mean, I I guess you could be angry about that, but also it's spring training. Like, you're not wanting to, you know, risk injury to a guy that was going to be a big part of your rotation. Um, in hindsight, it was probably pretty huge that you didn't waste the that, – that you didn't – pitch him a ton in spring training because early in the year you didn't have Verlander Scherzer gets hurt that that could have been pretty bad if he was already burnt out or if he got hurt god forbid oh yeah you 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 could have been in in a world of hurt so I I don't I don't think that was necessarily the worst part. Um, I really just hope that that was something that they 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 planned for, and I do think that was definitely part of it. Um, I think you know there was the thing that that Buck said in the preseason when they had everybody healthy right before spring training, or it may have been you know during the early part of spring training about look we want to run we, we want to run a six man rotation especially early in the year. Um, and he said, look, that's, you know, to help Sanga and that's to help the young guy or the, uh, excuse me, the older guys 
um, and Verlander and Scherzer to get a little bit of extra rest. But I really do think it was to protect Senga. But here's the thing. You're in June. It's it's time to start shortening that rotation. It also doesn't help that the guys that you were hoping would be your fifth and sixth guy have been horrendous. Um, I should say the, the guys that you were hoping to be your fifth and sixth guy have been um, horrendous since, you know, you had to move Carrasco up since Quintana's injury. And look, McGill had a great April. He has not been the same since. He is a guy that at this point, if you could pitch him in April and you could never see him again, <laughs> go for it. Like, it's just, he, he's, he just, he's so inconsistent. And maybe that's a bit harsh. You know, he's just a guy that I think at this point, like if that was your sixth guy, I don't think we would be that that concerned about that. But the fact that there was a point where that was your third guy there where, you know, this at, at this point now, he's your fourth or fifth guy. Like you you need to find more consistency. And then, you know, you look at David Peterson. I mean, my God, like I, I got to be honest, we've seen this type of thing before. It, the, the last two starts that he had in the majors – to me, I I I said this in I, I think it was in our group in our one group chat with uh with Willie. I think it may have just been on social media as well. That those are two starts that look like end of career starts, or at least end of met career starts. Like I've seen them before. They that it was very similar to what we saw from Steven Matz before he left. Like there's just no way you can bring the, the, that dude back up. So, I mean, I, I think that's the thing is you've gotten to a point where you need Senga to be able to pitch every five days. You need him to start finding his groove on the road. And look, this loss came at home. But and and I get it. It's gonna take it's 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 taken him some time to acclimate. There's no doubt about that. And look, this could be something where. You know, ultimately this year he's not great, but next year and the years, you know, after he's, he he really starts to show you once he gets used to playing in the United States, why you ultimately went out and brought him over. But the thing is, is it's the situation that you're in. You're in a win now mode and you've got a guy that right now can't pitch every five days because he's just not used to it. Like, that's, it's not serving well to what your goals are as a as an organization this year, and I think that's what's frustrating a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, like I think the thing is, is that you know, I, I've I'm with you because like, you know you're thirty and thirty, and you, you know, believe it or not, like 102 games is still is still a lot of time. But, you know, before you know it, it's going to be 70 games and it's going to be 50 games and so on and so forth. At some Look, at some point, you can't just keep saying, well, it's baseball season. It's a long season. It's a long yeah, season. I, I, we get I, it. I just, you know, like, if, if, if these struggles were happening, but they were becoming, they, they were coming behind a dominant Scherzer and a dominant Verlander. I, I don't think they would be getting the kind of criticism that they're getting because 
they signed him to be the number three pitcher for a reason. They wanted there they wanted there to be some protection there for him, and right now it's just not there. And you know, I kind of just thought, well, maybe he was just going to be what you kind of see from a typical, you know, quote unquote rookie pitcher in in the majors. Good at home, iffy on the road, but you know that didn't happen. And it'll be interesting to see because his next start, you know, would be scheduled for Saturday in Pittsburgh. Like if he goes out there and um, let's you know puts out six innings, one run ball, twelve strikeouts, it's it's going to be pretty evident that they've got to find a way moving forward to 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 manipulate his rest. I don't know how you do it because you don't have enough bullpen depth to to put a bullpen game in between his starts or whatever. Oh my god, please! Um, if they open a game with Steven Nagosik, I'm going to punch a wall. <laughs> so, you know, it's just one more thing that that Buck Showalter's having to is having to manage, and you know that's probably why. Kind of like you know when women get done talking to us, they leave with headaches. He leaves the ballpark every night with headaches, and it's just been one thing after another. Um, some news came out today, and I think we knew this was going to be the end result that Tomas Nito did get DFA'd. Um, you know, Omar Narvaez is coming, you know, got reinstated back from the IL. And this was something that, you know, this was ultimately the right decision. Narvaez, better player than Nito. Although, you know, Max Scherzer really loved Nito. Um, and really, you know, he was a great veteran presence behind, you know, but, but you know, uh, at the catcher position for a guy like Tyler McGill. Um, Cookie Carrasco at times, David Peterson last year to kind of stabilize those those guys. But the biggest thing was that, you know, no one's going to sit here and deny there was panic that the Mets would do the unthinkable and send Francisco Alvarez down. And Keith said it, I believe it was, was Friday night, where he just flat out said, like, you can't. Like, no matter you come hell or high water, you can't sit Alvarez back down to AAA, a guy that's got eight home runs, an OPS of nearly 800. As a lifelong Mets fan that has seen this organization and this franchise make stupid decisions from time to time, how concerned were you that they were going to send him back down to Syracuse? I, I mean, look, I got to be honest. I didn't really have much concern at all. Um I didn't believe that any franchise could be that stupid, even the Mets. So, I mean, I just, yeah, there's no way. There's no way. The way that he was playing, um, you know, he settled into a groove. He's one of those guys, when people start asking questions about, hey, why should Mark Vientos be playing more? He's not hitting the ball. Okay, well, look at Francisco Alvarez. He was a guy that just needed time. And look, I get it. Not every player is like that. But Alvarez, we knew that from his history at every other level. He was a guy that notoriously started very slow and then would round into form as a hitter. And now you're seeing why he was the number one overall prospect for the last few years in Major League Baseball. And I mean, you know, he's he's done some really good things behind the dish as well. Um, you know, throwing guys out, especially in the modern era, it's it's incredibly tough. There's there's no doubt about it. Um, you we you know you see the amount of guy the amount of stolen bases um, that 
teams are, are are stacking up this year. I mean, just look at the success that the Mets have had. And for God's sake, Pete Alonso stole a base the other day. If you need to know where the sport is at in terms of stealing bases, that's all you need to know right there. So, I mean, look, he, he's been really good back there. Uh, to me, it seems like one of the things that we had so many issues with over the past few years was pass balls. You ain't seeing many of those with Francisco Alvarez back there. So I, I it, it was the move that had to be made for Tomas Nito. Look, man, it sucks. And and there are some people that are probably celebrating this and are like good riddance to him. Man, I like Tomas Nito as a player. He He was just one of those guys that was – I mean, he was just one of those Mets players where it's like the dude came out there, he, he wasn't a flashy player, but he didn't really do anything wrong. You know, he just, he frankly, just wasn't wasn't as talented as some of the other guys uh, that were around him. And, you know, I'm hoping that maybe he doesn't get picked up and he ends up, you know, staying in the minors, but who knows, somebody probably really needs a catcher out there and he's a solid enough player. But look, the fact of the matter is, when you're hitting 125 in 56 at bats this year, they can't keep you on the roster. Like your OPS is 278. Like that's not a guy that you can have out there. They brought in Omar Narvaez in the offseason. Now you can question, you can question that all you want. I mean, I think that is a very valid thing to question. Although go back to training to, to spring training. Remember Buck in his mind, and it's, I mean, it's one of those quotes that at this point would leave you scratching your head when he said that, when he, when he said, look, we want Alvarez to be down in AAA for the whole season. Man, we're glad that didn't happen. Um, but, I, I mean, I, I just think it's it's a bad break for Tomas Nito. He'll land on his feet somewhere, and here's what's going to probably happen. He will land on his feet somewhere, even if he's not a great player, wherever he lands, whenever he plays the Mets, he will go off. Yeah, no, you're probably right. He'll probably become the new uh, Travis Darno and go I out swear, there and I, sw- I swear like, to God. You know, that- 400 lifetime every time he, he faces uh he faces the Mets. But you know, I'm with you, man. Like, you know, Nino did nothing wrong. He can't help that, you know, he had the the thing that had him be put on the IL. He can't. He can't help that Francisco Alvarez made the transition to the major leagues the way that he did this time around, as opposed to when the Mets called him up with six games to go a year ago. And you, you know, I, 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 I think he understood. I, I think you know he'll be. He's gonna find a job because he's he, he's the ultimate pro, and he's too good of a guy just to have in your clubhouse every day and. He's a veteran presence behind home plate for for a for a pitcher and stuff like that. Um, and, and you know, I think it's gonna be interesting to see what the Mets do moving forward with with, with the catcher position because I think the I, would you be surprised to see a lineup where Narvaez is behind, you know, is catching, but you see Alvarez DHing or something like oh that? Oh my god! Because I mean, dude, if that, if that happens, I I may pick up a smoking habit because I'll need a cigarette. That would be a dream at this point. Instead of consistently rolling out Daniel Vogelbach, I can't really say anything bad about Tommy Pham right now because he just hit two home runs in the in, in the last game that we saw on Sunday. But I mean, when you're when you're throwing those two guys out there and they're not giving you anything, I mean, 
Yeah, that would be an amazing lineup. I yeah, no, I'm right there with you. And I do think, you know, I, I know I know Atlanta does it. You see some other teams that have that type of it's not, you know, th- th- that type of power from their catchers. I don't think it's something to 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 write out, especially just given the overall struggles of Mark Vientos when he's in the DH role. I would say that's mainly because he doesn't play enough. I do think if he was in the DH spot more often, I think you would see him acclimate much better. But but I do think that is something that will help kind of formulate and change this offense. And this is what the last thing we're kind of going to talk about here uh, at length. There aren't many times that I – hear something that Keith Hernandez and Ron Darling say, and I openly uh, disagree with. And I actually yelled at my TV for like a solid five minutes yesterday when they brought this back up on Sunday after they brought it back up on Saturday about them wanting to see Starling Marte back in the in, in, in the number two spot. And, and look, I know, I know it's starting to come together for Marte. You know, they're starting to show a little bit more pop. You know, he hit a solo home run yesterday. You know, you're, he's batting 250. Um his OPS is is gotten it's getting close to 700. But I don't I don't I don't think he's done enough to get put back in that number 2 hole. But given the struggles of Francisco Lindor who literally got booed all weekend long at City Field, you know, that there maybe needs to be a decision to be made, especially on a homestand where you score just 15 runs total across six games. Do you think that Marte has done enough to be back in his spot in the lineup, which is the number two spot where he hit last year was a big reason why the Mets won over, won over 100 games? I mean, look, I, I get it. you your thing is is that he's not hitting the ball well enough to be in that slot. But my thing is is that who is hitting the ball well enough? Play there. There's not really a lot of guys. I mean, if you're if you're going off of this past homestand, I mean Mark Hanna will be hitting. Um and and by the way, speaking of good things from this past homestand, Mark Hanna played pretty well. But I don't think that he is remotely ready to hit in that two spot. Um, you know, you look at some of the other options that are further down the lineup. I mean, look, you're not hitting whoever the hell is playing DH there. I, I don't care who you put in there. Zero chance that is happening with the way that uh, they're playing. And I don't see anybody else out there that you can afford to hit in that spot. And so then you're talking about either moving up Jeff, which I think He's him hitting third has actually worked out pretty well for him. Um, or then you're, you know, you're, you're talking about moving Pete up. Like, I, no way. That's, I mean, for me, that's a complete no go on that one. Um, so I just, to me, I think it's, it's a thing of you don't really have many options. Like, you're not, I, you're not hitting Brett Beatty there. Like, that's, that's not a spot for him. So, I, I think I think you're kind of stuck with with limited resources, and you're hoping that maybe this is the start of the turnaround for Marte. I think at this point, we just have to admit that last year was a really. I, I mean, probably I, I haven't, yeah, you know, don't have the numbers memorized, but that was a 
one of his better years of his career, if not a career year for Martin. I don't think that's ultimately the player that he's going to be moving forward, which sucks, but it is what it is. I think at some point that might be the guy that you have to live and die with in that two-hole. Because if he does get on, he's an aggressive base runner. He's capable of stealing bases. He can get into scoring position for the only guys on your roster that can bring guys in. Like, let's be honest. There's, there's still they're not, they're not bringing runners in at this point. They were over on the weekend against the Jays with runners in scoring position. So any sort of advantage that you can get, you kind of have to you you got to find ways to engineer runs. And having him as a guy that's aggressive that steals bases in that two hole might be the move. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like you know, like if he was batting two sixty five, two seventy, I don't think it'd be an issue. But two fifty is still. You know, it's it's not it's not where he needs to be. But although you, you know, when you look at just how and just how awful and how confused and disinterested and lost Francisco didn't Francisco Lindor looks, I do think something has to be done. Um, I'm with you. I, I don't see them putting Alonzo at second. The only reason why they would would be a pure analytical decision. Um, because that's why Aaron Judge of the Yankees hit seconds, because they figure it gets him you know, over the course of a series, an extra three to four at bats. Um, and with his type of power and stuff like that, you know, more often than not, it does make a difference. And Alonzo is is just on equal footing in terms of being the power hitter that Aaron Judge is. But I, I think they like having that guy in the number four spot because in an ideal world, you're getting one or two guys on. He's hitting a three-run bomb or something like that. But you know, at, at at some point, something's got to get done. Um, you know, I, I think if this offense stays this feeble moving forward, you might see a change made with the hitting coach, something that uh, Luis Rojas did back during his 2021 year. Ultimately, it didn't work. But, you know, this is something that, you know, the, the Mets – you know, they were challenged last year by the Braves about with weak contact and how it wasn't going to hold up. And that was proven to be true. And so far this year, it's been proven to be true where outside of Alonzo, maybe Lindor, and then you've got Alvarez, who, who's really added some pop. There's just not a lot of hard hitters in this lineup. And, you know, when you're going 0-4 for an entire weekend with, with you know, producing a run with a, with a, with a runner in scoring position – I think it does call into question something to be done. And I, I do think we'll see maybe a different looking lineup the next time we see the Mets take the field. And we'll talk about this here really quickly. It's a big series. They, they're they the back on on the diamond tomorrow night. They start a three-game set then in Atlanta. Cookie Carrasco will get the ball um, tomorrow. And then you'll have Verlander and Scherzer as well. Scherzer, then Verlander, um, on the mound. So when you look at the pitching matchups and stuff like that, two of three is definitely on the table here for for, for the Mets. And it kind of feels like, and maybe you disagree, this kind of feels like a point in the year where either they're going to get their crap together or they're not. Um, because you've got the matchups in this one where you, you know, in, a, in an ideal world, 
Scherzer out outduels Morton and Verlander outduels Spencer Strider. And then you go to Pittsburgh for the weekend. And Pittsburgh is a pleasant surprise. They're they're right up there with Arizona as one of the best surprises in all of baseball. But you've got a payroll that uh that more than doubles what they've got. You should be able to take two or three from them as well, you would think. So when you look at this Atlanta series, kind of like the Tampa Bay series a few weeks ago, does this serve as a point in the year where the Mets can either build off of this and really start stringing together more consistent high-level baseball, or if they go down and they get and they, they lose two or three or they get swept, heaven forbid, would that kind of be just maybe not the nail in the coffin, but just another sign indicating that this team just doesn't have the goods to be among one of the better teams in the NL this year? Yeah, I mean, it kind of depends, I guess, on – on what the series ultimately looks like. I mean, look, if you lose to a three, I don't think the season is over by any stretch. It's just you got to find your footing here at some point. I, I, I got to tell you, winning the division would be fantastic. You sweep Atlanta. You return the favor from what happened late last year. You're within two and a half games. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, ultimately – to me, the goal for the Mets just has to be get into the playoffs. If you get there, you've got the veterans in that rotation. You've got enough guys in the lineup. Hopefully by then you will have added at least another bat or two to this lineup. And maybe you've got your bullpen somewhat figured out. And that could also involve trying to acquire somebody at the deadline. I just like to me, I, I think I think you are right. This is a series where look, if you get embarrassed in this series, you're in trouble. Because then that that takes away all the momentum that you built against Philly. And the thing is, is you you, you know, the, then you're really even questioning, you know, how good is Philly? Because they've struggled early in the year. Was that really something to get excited about? So this this definitely feels like a big series. With Pittsburgh, I get it. I mean, they're off to a really good start to the season. The Mets should still be able to beat them based on payroll. But I think that ultimately what they look like in this Braves series will go a long way towards determining what this team is ultimately going to be moving forward. And and I know, again, people are going to hit us with the same thing. They'll say, well, what if they string together a long losing streak or a long winning streak? Well, you haven't seen it this year. That's the problem that you're starting to run into is where are the winning streaks for this team? Where is a stretch where this team wins 12 out of 14? Like it just doesn't happen. They're so inconsistent. So you need to start putting some things together because Look, I said it before, you know, we started this podcast when we were just talking. Right now, I think this team is about where if I if this continues with what they're doing so far, this is where this team's going to finish. They're going to finish at 500 right around 500, and that's not making the playoffs. So, they need to start to pick up a little bit of steam here if they want to be able to ultimately do anything and get to the postseason. And I think it's got to start here in this window. I mean, look, if if for some – like, again, if you get swept, it's not over. 
but you need to start showing some signs of life. And we can't just keep saying, well, they got this stretch coming up. Maybe this is where they get it going. At some point, that belief is going to stop, not only for the fans, but for the guys in the locker room, for the people within the organization. And that's when you start to run into trouble. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I, I think I think the day off before the series uh, is a godsend. Gives them a chance to just kind of regroup, catch their breath, kind of get their head back in the right order. Maybe just get away from baseball and maybe just take a break and debrief and, you know, just kind of have a day to just, you know, be, you know, something more than, than a ball player and then, you know, get, get back to work tomorrow. But, you know, I, I, I just – I, I really believed this season wasn't going to go the way that it's gone. And maybe this is my first real introduction to being a Met fan, of having high expectations and being uh, and being humbled. But, well, yep. W- you welcome know, welcome at, in. The at water the end of the is day, lukewarm. You know, at the end of the day, like, I still believe, and because you got to believe, right? And, you know, at some point, I think this thing is going to turn around. What better way to do it than on the road uh, in that cesspool down in Atlanta, um, taking, you know, a series against a team and uh, that we hate uh, with the fan base that we hate, and then following that up to Pittsburgh and saying, hey, you know, you've had a nice start, but now we're going to bring you back to reality. And that, that's what I hope that's going to happen happen and you know we'll have to wait and see how it plays out if not you know we will still be here talking about them we're not going to quit on them we're not we're not going to throw in the towel win win or lose rain or shine we'll be here uh on the flushing's finest uh, podcast talking about this met team and that's going to wrap up this edition of the show but guys before we let you go we do encourage you guys to rate review and subscribe to the podcast you can find us on every major podcasting platform just simply search the Flushing's Finest podcast, and we will pop up. We're there. We do we do encourage you guys, like I said, to rate the podcast, review the podcast, but more importantly, hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any of the additions of the show throughout the remainder of the baseball season. Well, with that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. We want to thank Anthony for coming on and Relief Appearance to host with me. We want to thank you guys for listening, and as always, let's go Mets!